Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? I'm Najee Adams. And I'm Hunter Jacobs. And you're listening to the Hootball Nets Podcast. So, at this point, by the time you're listening to this, games one and two of the NBA playoffs for the Brooklyn Nets versus Philadelphia 76er series has been completed. And uh, we're just going to recap those two games and basically go over what we think needs to change for Game 3 in order for the Nets to pull out a W. But before we get into all that, make sure you guys go subscribe to us on iTunes. You can look up Hootball Nets. You can look up Brooklyn Nets. We come up either way. Leave a five-star rating and review. All reviews are getting read on the podcast. Shout out to Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company for sponsoring this podcast and every other Hootball podcast. If you want to look them up on Twitter, which you should, it's Hi Kona Coffee. Kona with the K. It's H-I-K-O-N-A Coffee on Twitter. Look them up on Amazon, too, and make sure you go purchase some of their coffee. And, uh, yeah, let's get into these games. So, game one, on the road, the Nets happened to actually win. We were super, super, super hyped. The Nets took game one, 111-102 in Philadelphia, and basically did their job. Because they took away the Sixers' home court advantage and got one on the road. And, uh, yeah, let's go over the box score. Actually, just recap it real quick. The Nets' biggest lead was 17. The game was much more of a blowout. Not a blowout, but it w- it wasn't as close as the, the, the score says. They only won by 9. Yes. They only run one by nine, and it, it, it really wasn't that close as we were going. But in garbage time, the Sixers started to catch up. Nets' biggest lead was 17. Sixers' biggest lead was 5. The Nets shot 43.2% from the field. The Sixers shot 40. The Nets shot 42.3% from the three-point line. And the the Sixers shot 12%. They were 3 of 25 from the three-point line and shot 12%. Something that we will point out, though, is the Nets shot 92.3% from the free-throw line. They missed two free throws the entire game, which was absolutely incredible. And uh, the Nets usually don't do that, so let's just point it out and say great, great, great job. Um, One thing I also will say, though, is throughout both games one and two, the Sixers have taken way, way, way more free throws than the Nets have, but we'll get into that at the end. The Sixers shot 42, made 29, which is 69%. The Nets won the turnover battle 11-13, to and they uh, and they lost the rebound battle. 50 to 45. They got out offense rebounded by 16 by six. It was 10 to 16. But that's what you're gonna expect when you have Joel Embiid and Boban Marjanovic banging down low in the paint. Now, on to the actual box score itself. We'll start with the Nets. So Damari Carroll played 33 minutes. He uh, didn't have a great game. He was three of ten from the field, one of five from three. But he did manage to have eleven points and six rebounds and three steals, which honestly came in handy. The box score is not honestly going to indicate who had the biggest impact on the game. A lot of it was toughness, physicality, 
playmaking, IQ, things that don't show up in the box score other than Ed Davis's line that is clearly important as he had 12 points on 5 of 7 shooting with 16 rebounds and a team high plus 28 in 25 minutes. But the rest of the team, the impact is not based off of the numbers. That's very true, which is why we're going to get into more in-depth breakdown of the game after. But just keeping you guys in the loop, Jared Allen only played nine minutes. Two points, one of four shooting, five rebounds, one assist. Got into foul trouble extremely early and uh, really had to sit the rest of the game out. Um, Joe, he had two fouls in the first 53 seconds. Yeah, and the Nets still kept him in. They didn't take him out after the first 53 seconds. And then he got his third foul in the first quarter. <laughs> and they were like, nope, get, get out. Joe Harris, 29 minutes, old reliable, had 13 points on five of seven shooting, three of four from the three-point line. Uh, D'Lo... 29 minutes, 26 points on 10 of 25 shooting, 2 of 6 from the three-point line. Only had three rebounds, four assists, and four turnovers. And uh, Jared Dudley might not look like he did much. Four points. All of those points came off of free throws. But he was honestly top three most important players on the team. Which is why me and Hunter, we completely, completely understand why some of you guys were getting on us earlier in the season for calling out Jared Dudley. Because we completely agree a lot of what he does can't be seen in the box score. I do believe that we are right about him not being a starter, though. I still don't. I still believe he's better suited coming off the bench, bringing the bench energy, than starting the game. That's my opinion. But regardless, his minutes are important. Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert were really the 1B and C to D'Angelo Russell's 1A in this game. Spencer Dinwiddie, 18 points in 32 minutes. Karis LeVert, 23 points in 23 minutes on 8 of 18 shooting. And uh, yeah, that is really all that we can say for the Nets box score. For the Sixers, Jimmy Butler was a uh, man amongst the boys. In this one, 38 minutes, 36 points on 11 of 22 shooting, 9 rebounds. The man had like 26 at half, and then uh, the Nets really managed to lock him down in the second half. But still, Jimmy Butler was really keeping them in this game for a good majority of it. Him and Joel Embiid alone took, what, 15 and 18 free throws, which is crazy. No one on the Nets took nearly as many. The highest amount of free throws by an individual five. player on the Nets was 5. So uh, that just shows how much the Sixers were driving to the basket and also how much the refs were uh, blowing the whistle for them. Um, Tobias Harris, 2 of 7, 40 minutes, which is a team high. He didn't do much, 4 points. Joel Embiid, 22 points on 5 of 15 shooting. Out of those 22 points, 12 of which came at the free throw line, he had 15 rebounds and uh, 5 blocks, which is still a monster game out of him. In case you didn't know, he's the first player in under 25 minutes to have 20, 15, and 5 in a playoff game. Yeah, he's a monster. I mean, I I don't know what. And this was a terrible game for him. Yeah, he was 33% from the field. That... The fact that this was a bad game for him and he broke a record shows how truly great he is. Which is... Yeah, exactly. Which is why, which is why I said the Nets are going to win in six because I still feel like Joel Embiid is going to have one of those forty and twenty games, but uh, hasn't come yet. He was close last game, but I feel like he's still going to have one of those games. Uh, the Nets managed to absolutely lock down JJ Redick and take advantage of him. He actually fouled down in twenty two minutes. He had five points on two of seven shooting, one of four from the three point line. He is probably their best. I think Mike Scott shoots the best percentage on the team from three, but JJ Redick is. Obviously, their best three-point shooter. Mike Scott hit the first three of the game for them, by the way. And uh, Mike Scott also was one of eight from the field and one of eight from the three-point line. And that one was the first three of the game. (laughs) So he didn't do too well either. Ben Simmons, we'll get into him later. I honestly don't think... I think Ben Simmons is overrated, overhyped. He only had nine points, four of nine from the field, one of five from the free-throw line, seven rebounds, three assists, three turnovers. I'll say now, I don't believe he's bad. I do believe he's stoppable, which separates him from superstars and even stars. You'll say Clay Thompson, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, they're stars. They're not they're unstoppable. Then you go to superstars, Steph, KD, LeBron, unstoppable. Ben Simmons is stoppable. So for now, he doesn't even reach close to that category until he figures out a way to make himself unstoppable. And for me, I feel like if you have to ask the question, is he making us worse while he's on the court? 
then then that's not a star for me. Do you have you don't have to ask that question with even people like Jason Tatum. You don't have to ask that question with people like Hunter just named Steph Curry, LeBron James, even people like Devin Booker. Unfortunately, people were saying that about Kyrie with the Celtics because of how well they were playing without, without him. But while he's on the court, he's still dropping 30 points and 10 assists and they're winning games. So When Benton is on the court, you legit have to wonder, dang, like, is his inability to shoot the ball making us a worse team? But when he's on, I get it. He's on. in Running in transition, getting a full head of steam, getting people open. That makes them better as a team. But when he's not doing that, how useful is he? And if you have to ask that question to me, then you're not a superstar. But, um... With that being said, now we're going to just kind of go over the game itself. So, one, with first and foremost, um, I feel like this series so far, games one and two, has really showed like how playoff games are such a chess match between the coaches. Because we see in game one, Kenny Atkinson coached a great game. Game two, Brett Brown came back and adjusted, made his move to combat what Kenny Atkinson did, and obviously it worked. But... This game was Kenny Atkinson's game. He coached an amazing game. Um, Question, since you were talking about coaching, what film would you put on for your players if you were Atkinson for this series? What do you mean? What game film to strategize against them would you use? I mean, if you're asking me what what team basically locked this, the Sixers up the best... I'd probably say the Celtics. I, I would put the Celtics. I would let us. I, if I was Brett Brown. No, if I was Kenny Atkinson, I would l- want the Nets to watch the Celtics and how they guarded Ben Simmons in the Sixers in the semifinals of last playoffs. Also, it's it's useful for that because the Celtics didn't have Kyrie and Hayward, obviously. So their team was as young as, about, as the Nets are right about now with Rozier starting, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Morris. The only thing they had was was Al Horford, really. That's that's different f- from the Nets. Like that Celtics team was was very good, but they played over their heads, and it's because of coaching. So if Atkinson was smart, I believe he would have them watch the way that the Celtics played them. And I don't think I even, think he did. I don't think even with Game Two showing that they can get around it, I still don't think that that method can be fixed by the Sixers if it's executed correctly. I don't think it can be fixed because the Sixers as a team are fundamentally flawed. They're built incorrectly. And I'm going to get into that later. But basically, the way the Nets were playing the Sixers was basically helping on everything and leaving, like completely helping and committing to the drive. They don't care because the Sixers have so many mediocre to non shooters that they they would live with the three so basically they they dared him be to shoot because we know he's not playing he's not playing at 100 percent. so uh they let him shoot he was 0 of 5 from three um they made jj reddick a liability on the defensive end because basically we know jj reddick is not a defensive savant. He's not guarding anybody. We can blow right by him, and that's exactly what D'Lo, Karras, and Dinwiddie kept doing. That is one player that you will not let shoot on that team, which is why the Nets did that very well in Game 1. They kind of lost it in Game 2. But taking away the three-point line from Redick is the way to decrease the offensive abilities of the Sixers. Like, they're not going to score 140 like they did in Game 2 if you don't give Redick the three-point line. I completely agree. And basically, what the how the Sixers were guarding him, I mean, how the Nets were guarding J.J. Redick, they were basically having Joe Harris top-block him, which basically means, in, in as simplest terms as I can put it, basically just standing, standing in between him and the three-point line so that you give him the mid-range but don't give Honestly, him the three. Honestly, it's, it's facing the baseline so that you're completely opposite from the perimeter. You're taking that away from him, but you're giving him the cut to the basket. Exactly. You're, you're, you're living with him if getting cuts, a backdoor cut. If he cuts, he'll be wide open. But then you also have help defense. Jared Allen's there, and it's J.J. Redick. Sure, he can make a layup, but with Jared Allen's help, I'd much rather contested layup than a wide open three. And exactly, the way the Sixers are doing it, 
if they had J.J. Reddick backdoor cut, a lot of the times they have people like Joel Embiid, Jonathan Simmons on the court, and you can just and Ben Simmons on the court. You can just completely help off Jonathan and Ben. So that backdoor cut that J.J. Reddick is getting is just getting covered up right then and there because Jonathan Simmons is like a 27% three-point shooter. If he wants to shoot it, go on ahead. And uh, so that's how they basically took J.J. Redick out the game. Obviously, Brett Brown adjusted and got him going in the next game. But uh, the Nets did have a hard time stopping Jimmy Butler in the pick-and-roll mid-range. And, like, getting to the basket, he obviously attempted a crap ton of free throws. But uh, they did end up containing him in the second half. He had his way with the team, honestly. There was... There were shots. He took a floater where he barely got touched, but managed to flail his entire body into an AM one. He he was hitting contested threes. He was just doing whatever he wanted. Everything was going in. Brett Brown stated it well. He was really the only man on the team that game, but he did only ha- he had no assists. Jimmy there Butler was didn't a have point, a single there was a point assist. Where I texted my friends, I said, "Is Jimmy Butler versus the Nets right now? The it, Nets it were really playing was. as a team. Jimmy Butler was carrying them himself." Um, the Nets small ball lineup with Jared Dudley at center. Uh, they ran it a lot this game. We saw it versus Portland in the OT game where Joseph Nurchik tragically went down. But Portland has better has better perimeter defenders and shooters, so the Nets couldn't utilize their speed and agility like they did against the Sixers. But uh, they didn't have Jared Dudley for game two, and we saw what happened. Um, Dudley is honestly so important to this Nets team because he's willing to take a beating and bang down in the low post with Joel Embiid and Boban Marjanovic, but he's also savvy enough to get, and like he's big enough to get them to commit offensive fouls every now and then. Obviously, he's not going to stop them every time, but he's such, he has such like experience. Exactly. That's the perfect word. He's so skilled and experienced that like he can get them to commit an offensive foul every now and then. And for new guys like that, he can predict. He he studies the game a lot. He knows what moves they have. He knows what their skill set is. So he know he can guess what they're going to do and he plays into that. Exactly. So that's what makes him a hero for this Nets team. Um, with Embiid hurting, Brett Brown uh, tried to use Boban Marjanovic and Jonah Bolden slightly, as well as Mike Scott. I believe Jonah Bolden should be on the court more, and I'll explain why when we get to Ben Simmons. But Boban, he, he's been important for them in that he, he does not miss jumpers from the free throw line. The Nets game plan was to let him shoot as much as possible, and that has backfired a lot. And they're not going to be able to let Bolden or Scott shoot because when they're hitting, threes go in. So none of the big men are ideal for the Nets to guard. They want to see more Jonathan Simmons, TJ McConnell on the court. Honestly, and... I honestly feel like if the Nets had a serviceable stretch big, they'd be able to take much better advantage of the Sixers. But Jared Dudley will do for right now. Because as much as as we saw in the last game, as we saw in game two when they had Ronda Hallett-Jefferson playing the Jared Dudley role, they don't need to guard him at three at all. With Jared Dudley, he went off two in this game, but... In, in game one, but obviously he's a threat from downtown, so you have to guard him. If the Nets had a good stretch big or a serviceable stretch big to come off the bench, that could make that could do wonders for them, which I honestly think they might invest in come free agency. Um, Boban's also a liability on the defensive end, and the Nets used the pick and roll multiple times to get Boban switched on to Dinwiddie, Karras, and D'Lo. Yes, so Dinwiddie and Karras Levert would get the ball inside the three-point line, catch it, then just dribble out, clear out everyone's space, and they would just take Boban, get a step on him, easy layup. Because if they help, then whoever, which they did sometimes, let's say they help, then Dinwiddie kicks it out, Karras three. Or Carroll three. Either way, there there is somebody who can shoot on the perimeter, so help defense doesn't work. And Boban being on the court sure he'll score and he can dunk without jumping off the ground but he can't play defense at all once he gets switched onto someone on the perimeter so that could wind up hurting them and if they get past the nets the raptors will make them pay with that if the raptors make it past the magic which i assume they will 
And for Boban, he can't just back up and, and, and predict a blow-by because Dinwiddie has no problem pulling a three, and Karras has gotten better shooting threes as well. So they'll make you pay if you do that. Also, not to uh, bag on Boban, but hey, he's the enemy. He He's really slow getting back in transition, which leaves the paint without a real defensive presence on fast breaks, and we know the Nets have an extremely high pace and they love to run. Now, basically on to Ben Simmons. Kenny managed to take Ben Simmons out of the offense, which really shouldn't be that hard to do. If he's not cut into the basket to catch a lob or running in transition, he's virtually useless off the ball. Okay, so... He, Boston exposed this last year, as we said with the film. They had Horford on Simmons and Baines on Embiid. Obviously, Baines can't stop Embiid, but if you take everyone out of that system and just let Embiid kill you, you will win. Embiid alone cannot win a game. If Simmons is out of the offense, you stop Redick. Jimmy Butler will do his thing. Tobias has been virtually invisible. Letting Embiid kill you is the way that you will win. Ben Simmons being a non-factor is the way that you will win. So the way that you have to play it is put somebody as a big man on him. Because you know all of his shots will come from within five feet of the basket. I completely agree. As Jared Dudley said, uh, he quoted today, Ben Simmons is great in transition, but when you get him in the half-court set, he's an average player. And to me, sometimes he's not even that. And the the Celtics ex- exposed that extremely in the Eastern Conference semis last year. The 76ers were plus 48 with Simmons on the bench and net minus 6-3 with him on the court. If that is, like, that completely just emphasizes why I say what I say about him, you needing to wonder whether or not you're better or not without him on the court. A lot of the time, he actually ruins the spacing of the Sixers because he just kind of lingers in the box off the ball, which allows his man to just stand in the paint, prevent the drive. So let's say, let's say um, Jimmy Butler has the ball and he's wanting to drive by his man. If Benton is just camping down along the box, his, his man is just going to clog the paint and that blocks off Jimmy Butler's driving lane right there. Sure, there's times that Simmons will catch the ball and get an easy dunk, but I'd rather give up three easy dunks in a game to him than let him just have his way on fast breaks over and over and over and over. Ben Simmons' inability to shoot also caused the Sixers a ton of turnovers because his man can sag way off him and pick off passes he tries to make to cutting teammates. Happened multiple times in this game. I remember Trevion Graham did it. Ben Simmons tried to do some little uh, bounce pass, no look. Trevion Graham picked that right off, going the other way. And uh, yeah, the Sixers lack depth. The Nets have a ton of it. And I feel like that's another thing that is in the Nets' favor. Do you believe that the trades the Sixers made made them worse in the end? Yes, because one, they had Robert Covington. No longer have him. He was a shooter. They needed him. No, the real shooter was Landry, Landry Shamet. I wanted. Okay, so let me just get into why the Sixers are a horribly built team, like I said earlier. So you have Ben Simmons, and he's your starting point guard. Yes? Let's say we can take Ben Simmons out the game, which is clearly possible. So you want to have someone off the bench, a point guard off the bench, that can come in and do stuff that Ben Simmons can't. Being, they can shoot. Bottom line. for example. Patty Mills, even. Exactly. You need a point guard off the bench when you have someone like Ben Simmons that can shoot. That player was Landry Shamet. He shoots about 40% from the three-point line. That's a knockdown shooter, above average for the NBA. But no, they traded him for Tobias Harris. Who has shot the ball horribly with the Sixers. Exactly. Tobias Harris, since he got to the Sixers, is shooting, what is it? Tobias Harris is shooting 32.6% from three. And he was shooting 43.4 with the Clippers. So he's capable of shooting, which is why the Sixers got him. So you can't really blame them for that. But since he's got to Philly, he has not been able to shoot the ball well at all. No, I still blame them because who did you think was coming off the bench? Like I'm saying, if you're locking down Ben Simmons, you need someone off the bench who can 
change the game plan for the defense so they can't play the same way. If you have Landry Shamet, the Nets can't play the same way they play Ben Simmons on Landry Shamet because he'll kill them. But no, you trade Landry Shamet, and now you have TJ McConnell coming off the bench who can- also cannot shoot. And ultimately, the Sixers tried to build the what the Warriors have, and they did it horribly. The reason the Warriors work is because they can all do everything. That's not the case because of Ben Simmons. If you replace Ben Simmons with Damian Lillard, championship team in the East. I promise you that. I agree. And honestly, we saw it last game. All I'm saying is if you can lock down Ben Simmons, you can lock down TJ McConnell. And that takes every Sixers the point guard, every point guard the Sixers use out of the rotation completely. Makes them useless. Which is why I feel like they're a flawed team. Horribly built. If you would have kept Landry Shamet, they'd be a much better team. Easily. Because it changes the way that the defense has to guard the, the Sixers, period. And I completely agree with Hunter. Hunter, The Sixers have a ton of star power. Yes, they have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler. I get it. And when they're on, they're on. 51-point quarters. We saw it. But that's the best game they've had all season. They played 10 games together. Total. For, since they got Tobias Harris, this makes 11, That make, game two makes 12. There's no way that they're going to play that good every game this series. I guarantee you that. And Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler are so used to having the ball in their hands a ton. If you don't get them going, like it throws them off their rhythm. And Joel Embiid needs the ball as well because that's the Sixers' biggest advantage. I just feel like the Sixers tried to put a whole bunch of star power together for a whole bunch of players that don't fit right. And now, in this game, expose exactly why they don't fit right. If you can lock up J.J. Redick, if you can lock up Ben Simmons, the Sixers are done. And Embiid will have his way no matter what. Tobias, he's the difference maker. Because if he is Tobias Harris, then they'll win. But if he's invisible like he has been it's not going to work out for them. So when I was watching the Sixers and how we and how the Nets guard Ben Simmons, I thought to myself, why doesn't this work on Giannis? Because he also isn't the best shooter and he's kind of just like Ben Simmons. So I asked Hunter, what's different? So well, the first difference in their game is that Giannis can hit a 3. Yes, it's not a great You'll let him shoot more often than not, but he can hit it. Ben Simmons cannot hit a three no matter what. You don't have to worry about it. There's games Giannis has hit three three pointers. Ben Simmons cannot. He's never hit a three, period. In his entire NBA career. So that's, that's the crazy. First difference. Second, Giannis is better at everything. Giannis is a better defender. Ben Simmons is an awful defender. I don't care what anyone says. He is a subpar defensive He's player. He's good when he w- tries. He His attitude is not good to me. Two, Giannis can do what he did today to Thon Maker and post someone up, turn around five feet away, and just extend dunk right on a seven-foot-one center's head. Ben Simmons can't really do that. He's just not as athletic. But from a system standpoint, why can't you do that? So the Celtics kind of did that to them, and and they still won that series with putting Horford on Giannis. But that's because Horford can can stretch out to the three point line. But I don't believe when the Celtics and Bucks meet this time that that will work because of Brooke Lopez, uh, mainly Brooke Lopez. The people who are on the court with Giannis when everyone's healthy. Are Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Brooke Lopez. Four knockdown shooters. They play five out, space the floor. Giannis has his way in the paint in a one-on-one. Because if you help, easy three-pointer. Ben Simmons cuts. First of all, Embiid's probably in the paint already, so it's clogged. If Embiid's at the three-point line, his man helps Embiid three. I'll take that all day long. He's not knocked down. Brooke Lopez is. And then you move to J.J. Redick versus Brogdon. This year, they're about the same, to be honest. Bledsoe against Jimmy Butler, about the same. Maybe Bledsoe a bit more. And then Tobias 
against Middleton. Middleton is more knocked down. So, in order for Ben Simmons to have a team that would be successful, I believe Embiid can still be there. And Reddick can still be there. But I believe Covington or Otto Porter are like perfect small forwards to have for them, which they already had Covington. And a power forward that can shoot that's not Tobias Harris because he's not a knockdown shooter. That's the bottom line. I guess Miritich could work for them, but they need someone who, when Ben Simmons drives, kicks it out, knock down three. Maybe Marcus Morris is a good option. Bottom line, I just feel like Ben Simmons is the type. It isn't the type of player you can have on your team where you can just crunch a whole bunch of talent together. Ben Simmons is the type of guy, if you're going to have him on your team, you have to, like, methodically put together your team and build it based around his strengths. You have to build the system around him, which, if that's the case, they should either trade him or Embiid, as painful as it is to say, because... Embiid is not a knockdown shooter. Like, he can stay. He can shoot. He's shooting 30% from the three-point line this season. But if Simmons is on in Giannis's place, they're not going to be as good, but they would still be a top-three seed, and they'd still dominate the East most likely because it would be a five-out system where he drives three-pointer. Bottom bottom line, they make Giannis play Ben Simmons' role, even though he can do so much more than him. And that's what's holding the Sixers back. That's why they're not going to win a chip in this Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid era unless Brett Brown and Elton Brandt, the GM of the Sixers, consciously and methodically build the team around Ben Simmons' strengths and weaknesses. With that being said, done with the Sixers for this game. Let's get into the game MVPs for the Nets. Uh, so we've picked five game MVPs. We picked the three guards, D'Lo, Levert, and Dinwiddie for obvious reasons. Well, so they each did something different. Dinwiddie and Levert as a duo off the bench is the second best bench duo in the game. Do you know who's first? Uh, Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart. No, I Marcus Smart He starts, yeah. But the Celtics duo would actually, of Jalen Brown and... Gordon Hayward would actually be top five. I knew you were going to say a Celtic. (laughs) But the number one bench duo is Lou Will and Montrez Harrell, no doubt. Those are starter-level players who they just throw on the bench. But Dinwiddie and Levert, when they play together, the game flows right. And game two, he strayed away from it a little bit. Game one, he was heavy with... When D'Lo's in, they're out. When D'Lo's out, the two of them are in. And it worked so well. Because Dinwiddie would drive, then Levert would drive. Then Dinwiddie would drive, Levert would... They were taking turns getting their way in the paint. and Or hitting threes on pull-ups, on fast breaks. That was really what got the run started. And it's shown by their plus or minus since they both have a 17 and 18 plus or minus. It's not... Ed Davis is 28, but it's a lot better than D'Lo's negative 10 and Joe Harris's negative 15 because the offense was flowing so much smoother when Dinwiddie and Lavert were in the game. I completely agree. A little off topic, while you were saying that, I was just thinking, do you know how nice the Nets would be if they had, if their starting center was someone like Brooke Lopez? If they had a good stretch big as their start, not to, to poop on Jared Allen, but just saying, if the Nets had someone like Brooke Lopez in this series, think Honestly, about it. They could play five out, drive to the basket, do what they're doing now, take advantage of mismatches off switches on screens, and Joel Embiid wouldn't be able to crash the paint because he'd have to worry about Brooke Lopez. Do you realize that it could even work if they, they got Serge Ibaka from the Raptors and start him next to Jared Allen? Like, the Nets... Or play small ball with him at the five. The Raptors were not looking to trade him, obviously. He's having such a great season there, the second seed. But that was the perfect person for them to get. The Nets severely need to invest in, via trade or signing, 
a stretch big this offseason? Specifically out of this free agent class, I'd like to see them add Marcus Morris or Julius Randle if he opts out of his player option. Obviously, they could get Tobias Harris. I don't know. Nikola Miritich. Nikola Miritich. He is another person who can make you worse based on defense, though. His defense is horrible. True, but so is Brooke Lopez. I mean, No, Brooke Lopez's defense has been amazing this season. I mean, but you can still take him off the off the oh, dribble. Yes, that's true. But you can do that with almost any Every center. Every center, yeah, true. But that's just a couple of free agents we think that would enhance the Nets' ability to win games next season. Um... On uh, finishing with the game MVPs, we have uh, D'Lo. Honestly, he's one of the game MVPs for me because he started off, what, horribly, like one of nine, some something crazy. Yes. And then he came out and scored 14 in the third quarter, 19 in the second half. And uh, he just completely turned it around. And it honestly shows that maybe he was a little nervous. Maybe he also, was. Also, he's being guarded by Jimmy Butler. He's going to have a rough series altogether, win or lose. Some of it's going to get put on him just because he's their best player. But he did have a good game when it came down to it. He made shots to widen the lead. He he was matching up with Jimmy Butler. There's There was a brief period after I said Jimmy Butler versus the Nets. It was Jimmy but- Butler versus D'Lo. Exactly. And it's just good to see a 23-year-old in the first playoff game of his career in the bright lights going crazy in the second half when it really matters. Um, on to uh, the more notable MVPs, Jared Dudley, for reasons I already said. The man is so important to the Nets in ways that can't be seen in a box score as shown by uh, Game 2. And uh, Ed Davis. Ed Davis, in my opinion, was the number one MVP. That's my opinion. What Ed Davis did in that game, from rebounding, defense, hustle, it's something, honestly, that Jared Allen does not have. And I I know I've been hating on Jared Allen, but this series so far has not made things any better for him. The man took an elbow to the face. That's all. That's the only thing he's done for this team so far, in all reality. Provide his face to take an elbow. But um, on to game two. Before we, Actually, before we wrap up game one, we just want to say congrats to the Nets. Extremely important for the for the borough of Brooklyn and New York in, in total for the Nets to win this game. And it's crazy to me that some people had never watched a Nets game before and- Saturday. There were pages that were like, now we have a real team for this city, blah, blah, blah. Damari Carroll quoted it and was like, there's always been a real team, real city, real franchise. He's like, but now it's a team that that wants to play together. Like, it's, it's a team it's a that family has chemistry. Almost. Like, this is the first family that the Nets have had on the court. The Darren Williams, Brooke Lopez, Paul Pierce, Garnett team, they threw together a bunch of Joe All-Star. Johnson. <laughs> Threw together a bunch of all-stars. This team was built from no lottery picks. Strictly trades and and signings and deep picks. So yeah, let's get on to game two. Um, like we said earlier, the playoffs is basically a game of coaches playing chess. And clearly Brett Brown made his move in this game. Just so you know, we're going to talk significantly less about this game being that we're a Nets podcast. And they got absolutely destroyed. <laughs> um, Brett Brown coached a great game. I'll give it to him. Uh, the Sixers were extremely physical with the Nets. Joel Embiid, Boban Marjanovic, they took advantage of their biggest advantage, which is having a ton of size on the Nets. Um, the way Ben Simmons, but they had Ben Simmons on D'Lo this game, the way they guarded him was basically not allowing him to go left. And D'Lo didn't, I don't think he scored the entire second half. And uh, they they completely committed to making him go right and use his right hand. He's a lefty, so obviously he's not as comfortable with his right hand. Um, they tweaked the lineup by removing TJ McConnell from it, which is what I said earlier. TJ McConnell in no way helps you if you know how to stop Ben Simmons. So in the game one, TJ McConnell played 15 minutes. Game two, he played 10 minutes. It only seems like a five-minute difference, but considering this was a blowout, he really only played in garbage time. Also, I will address Boban again. I was watching this game in class, and when I tell you the Sixers' whole offense was give it to Boban at the high post, he looks, oh, no one's open. I'll just turn and shoot a free throw midi. 
money, money, cash in every <laughs> single time. He did not. I don't think he has missed one free throw line jumper the entire series. Yeah, I I've read somewhere that he's getting like fifty five point two percent or fifty five point six percent of his points in the mid range from the the free throw line jumpers. Like obviously the Nets weren't expecting him to to be capable of knocking it down. So that's another adjustment Kenny has to make in being able to guard him from the or, or just telling the players put a hand up at least. Don't just let him take a wide open shot. Um, but yeah. Other than Boban, like I said before, they tweaked the lineup, removed TJ McConnell from it. Um, they got Mike Scott uh, to. They got Mike Scott going in this game. They also got James Ennis back, which, according to Sixers fans, James Ennis is very, very important to their team. He played 12 minutes, scored six points on two of two shooting, and uh, had three rebounds. Mike Scott in this game really got it going. 15 points in 21 minutes. 5 of 7 from the field, 3 of 5 from the three-point line. The main thing is whatever they did on Ben Simmons and Redick in Game 1 disappeared in Game 2. They combined for 35 on 15 of 24 shooting, and Ben Simmons had a triple-double with 10 rebounds, 12 assists, and he had two steals. Redick also hit two threes. So Yeah, for, for Ben Simmons, he really took a lot of the criticism to heart. Clearly, he started out the game extremely aggressive. And uh, this is where not having Jared Dudley really affected the Nets, I feel like. With Jared Dudley on Ben Simmons, he's been basically locked up in Game 1. And I feel like had they have had him, which they will in Game 3, I feel like it'll be a different game. The J.J. Redick... Brett Brown obviously started running more uh, sets for him to get him open and basically negate the top lock. And uh, the Nets actually, the uh, Sixers actually started top locking Joe Harris. So they're basically playing the same defense on each other. Although in game one, Joe Harris was a non-factor. So it, it really hasn't mattered what he's doing. It mattered more that Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, and Tobias Harris all were scoring in this game. J.J. Redick, 17 points in 24 minutes, 7 of 12 from the field. He still had four fouls, and uh, he hit 2 of 5 from the three-point line. Joel Embiid, 23 on 8 of 12 shooting in only 20 minutes. He had 10 rebounds. He also almost fouled out, but had a a team... No, but he had a plus-minus of plus 26. And... um, Tobias Harris had a team high, third, plus 30, plus minus, um, 19 points. Only went 5 of 12 from the field. He was 7 of 7 from the free throw line. Amazing. See, this is the one thing. The Sixers played this game perfectly. When your leading shot taker in the game is Boban Marjanovic and all of your starters have between 10 and 12 shots, that is the most efficient way you're going to score. One person taking 30 shots is not going to do anything for them. There's a reason they have all this star power. They need to use it. The net, At some point, the Nets only had a four-point lead. That was their biggest lead of the entire In game. In the first quarter. While the uh, Sixers had a 32-point lead at some time. Everyone knows, ended up having a 51-point quarter. Probably the best game that this lineup of all their All-Stars has ever played. It's probably the Sixers' best game of the entire season, period. Uh, a lot of people were saying it was Ben Simmons' best game of his career, best game of the season. And uh, if I'm the Nets, I'm happy. Like, this happened at home. They were coming. Kenny Atkinson said before the game, we knew they were going to hit us with a haymaker. They obviously came back and adjusted. Uh, they had the best game of their entire season, broke playoff records, and... Um, if you're going to do it anywhere, do it at home. And the Nets still got what they needed to get done. They won a game on the road and took away the home court advantage. So we said six. We said Nets in six, and uh, that still looks very possible. I honestly believe the Nets are going to go back to Philly in game four up 3-1. I'm not even going to lie. The Nets are not losing a game at home. I'm sorry. Hope I didn't jinx it. But, um, yeah, James Ennis, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. Jimmy Butler honestly got shut down. He was 3 of 10 from the field. And, uh, yeah, didn't do much in this game. The Nets box score, a lot of it's not important because, like, Napier had 13 points, all garbage time. Pinson, nine points, garbage time. Musa, four points, garbage time. And the main guys who were contributing in game one, Ed Davis, five minutes, two he, points. He got, in, he got in foul, foul trouble. trouble, yeah. And uh. then no one on the team had more than... 19, no one hit 20. Dinwiddie, 8 of 16 from the field, 19 points. No one on the team had more than 4 assists either. 
Yeah, Dila only played 24 minutes, 16 points on 6 of 16 shooting, 3 of 7 from the three-point line, had four turnovers, only two assists. Joe Harris only attempted four shots, made one of them. And uh, yeah, Rodion's Crooks, 21 minutes, 8 points on 3 of 7 shooting. He was off 2 from the three-point line, 2 of 2 from the free-throw line, had 5 rebounds. And, uh, yeah, this game kind of got really, really, really out of hand after the after halftime. The uh, Sixers went on a 21-2 run to start the third, and Kenny Atkinson didn't call a timeout. And, uh, honestly, I feel like that was his that was one of the, the mistakes he made this game. Could have stopped the bleeding way earlier, but instead he let it get out of hand, and the Nets could never really recover. I do want to talk about, though, the the elbow that Embiid threw on Jared Allen. Do I believe it was a flagrant, too? Absolutely. Definitely. I'm not one to, to usually go for conspiracy theories, but if you didn't know, a flagrant, too, kicks you from the game. It was late in the second quarter, and um, had Joel Embiid got assessed that flagrant, too, he would have obviously been ejected. He was a big part in the Sixers going on their third quarter run. So take him out of that. And there's a good shot. They don't do that. They don't score 51 in a quarter. And the Sixers are down 0-2. Now, does the NBA want Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid down 0-2, possibly getting swept in the first round? No. So why would they call a flagrant two and get Joel Embiid out of the game? Regardless of what anyone says, the NBA wants players to succeed, so they'll call the game how they want to call the game. The rule book is only the rule book in certain situations. It's however the refs perceive it or whoever they want to win in all reality. If Jared Allen, if the roles had been reversed and Jared Allen would have done that to Joel Embiid, I guarantee you he would have got tossed. And it, a lot of people are saying, some people are saying it's not a flagrant two. That's clearly a flagrant two to me. He looked him right in the eye and threw a, it reminded me of the, the James Harden Meta World piece or Ron Artest elbow back when the Lakers were playing the Thunder. That alone. And well, Ron Artest got tossed for the that. The only questionable part of the definition of a flagrant two is excessive. Yes, it was unnecessary, the contact, but was it excessive? That's the thing. Did he... It's about whether or not he followed through and did something extra above the contact. Um, also, this just goes this goes right into it. I honestly want to talk about the Sixers being disrespectful and arrogant. And if this wasn't a rival, rivalry between the Nets and Sixers, I definitely believe it is now. I feel like gonna get, things are going to get chippy in games okay, three and four. So the Sixers are also rivals with the Celtics. If they play the Raptors, they're going to become rivals with the Raptors because they're not mature. They're Neither are so, Sixers fans, honestly. So in NBA 2K, they always have the Sixers winning the championship based on pure talent. But if you look in real life, something a video game can't display, the Sixers are possibly the most immature playoff team that we have seen in the last decade, maybe. They do not know how to handle themselves. They... Call starting forwards that other kid. Yeah, let me let me just talk about that real quick. So Ben Simmons was asked like why what was wrong, and in the first game he said, you know they've got J- Dudley on me and that other kid. So you know I've got to be aggressive. That other kid being Rodion's Karuks. I mean you definitely. What does it hurt to say the kid's name? Like, there's no, that that alone just shows how arrogant they are, and it honestly feels like they're not taking the Nets seriously. Like they know they're gonna win this series. Like they're better than the Nets or something. And let's say by chance they get past the Nets, I will be so glad to see the Raptors get them one, two, three, four out of here, because the Raptors team is built to shut them down. Siakam on Simmons is a recipe for a raptor sweep and honestly the sixers are just like their fans immature i'm sorry if you're a sixers fan listening to this you can leave because we're a nuts podcast and we don't want you in here but basically if the sixers fans were booing ben simmons they're the love of their life their franchise player almost because he missed some free throws and then they boo after every bad thing even joel Embiid said like every shot we miss you're gonna boo yes because that's just the kind of fan sixers are and then simmons is out here saying if you're gonna boo stay at home stay okay. on that side okay i agree with that but that's your whole fan base. So if you want an empty arena, go ahead. You're not going to win another home playoff game when the whole arena is empty and you got nothing to play for. And Damari Carroll said, uh, 
game three, they're going to come back physical because you clearly see the, the discrepancies b- between the free throws for the Sixers and Nets. The Sixers are driving way more, getting real physical with the Nets, and they're getting calls. So clearly, let's see the Nets do it at home, and let's see the Nets get calls. I feel like game three is going to be super chippy, super aggressive, super physical, and if this wasn't a rivalry, like I said before, it is now, and the Nets have the firepower they need to fuel them to smoke the 76ers in these next two I games. I do hope that Karuk gets more run and takes advantage of it. I hope he just booms it on Ben Simmons. <laughs> Like just he, crazy he, windmill. Even if he has two points on one of fourteen shooting, if it's two points, it's a windmill dunk where he stuffs Ben Simmons' head right between his legs. <laughs> that would be the most satisfying thing to me that I've ever watched in a basketball game. So uh, yeah, going into Game Three, uh, Kenny Atkinson's clearly going to make some adjustments, just like uh, Brett Brown did. And we'll see what happens. What I think they need to do, I think they need to find a way to get Joe Harris open. You can obviously um, emulate what Brett Brown did for J.J. Redick and see if it works because they're playing the same type of top-lock defense on J.J. Redick as they are on Joe Harris. So do that. Watch that film. Uh, get physical and get aggressive with the Sixers and don't just get bullied by their big men and honestly continue to stick to the game plan of abusing mismatches. But... Do you have anything else to say? We are super excited for Game 3 on Thursday. You're, pr- you're probably hearing this Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon. So uh, make sure you guys tweet us any questions you have. We'll be live tweeting the game as we have for the first two. Make sure you guys subscribe to us on podcast, on the Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, whichever way you want to say it. Um, look up Brooklyn Nets. Look up Hoop on Nets. We come up either way. Press that subscribe button. Leave a five-star rating and review. All reviews are getting read on the podcast. Make sure you interact with us, with us on Twitter. You can find us at HoopBallNets. Individually, I'm at Najee Adams underscore on Twitter. If you don't know how to spell Najee, it's N-A-J-E-E-A-D-A-M-S. Hunter is Hunter underscore J-K-R. Shout out to Juan House Kona Coffee Company for sponsoring this podcast and every other hoop ball podcast. So go look them up on Twitter and buy their products on Amazon. You can find them at H-I-K-O-N-A Coffee on Twitter. Make sure you watch Game 3. Make sure you come back and listen to us after Game 3 and 4 because we'll be right back. And uh, yeah, guys, we'll see you all next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.